In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for our message this morning is from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, where we hear Paul cry out, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Please be seated. In the month of July, our readings will lead us through the heart of Paul's epistle to the church in Rome. I would highly recommend utilizing this time as an opportunity to read through Romans on your own a few times this month, maybe even a few times a week if possible. One resource that I have used recently to study this text is called Reading Romans with Luther by Pastor R.J. Grunwald. The quote graphics that you'll see on the screen this morning are from this book, and I found it to be very useful. Um, the, The text walks through the themes of Romans as Luther saw them, Um, using his base text of his commentary on Romans. As for our text today, the question that jumps out at me is, what does the law have to do with me? That is, what does the law have to do with me as a Christian? In the first six chapters of Romans, Paul makes a clear and bold case for why we are saved by faith and not by works. He even speaks of those who live by faith, that is Christians, as being dead to sin and alive in Christ. However, in our reading today, Paul speaks of of two laws that wage war within the free Christian— the law of the Spirit, and the law of the flesh. We will first consider the law of the flesh, which is our human condition that has been corrupted from its very good state in creation to something far less than what God intended. The law of the flesh is that sense of inward focus. It's a me-first view of life. From this perspective, I am the most important thing. What I desire is supreme. What I say is right and wrong are up to me and my feelings. From this twisted reality, if we consider God's law, they must either serve me or they are not worthwhile. If I agree with them, that's great. But if I feel like I can't fulfill them, or they don't apply to me, I will brush them off and ignore them. I will dilute their sting on my conscience, because my law is what really matters. The second law that we consider is the law of the Spirit which is focused on God. It comes from God and is fulfilled by God for us. This law works in us as baptized children, as the Holy Spirit leads us. It recognizes that God has created us with a purpose and that our greatest concern is not for me first, but is to love God and love our neighbor 
from this perspective, we cherish the natural laws that God has given us and trust His Word in being true and right, even if it brushes up with our common sensibilities or the desires of the day. This law comes apart from us. So the law of the flesh and of the Spirit are at odds with one another, and they're at odds within us. As an aside, we should be cautious of the heresy alarm that could go off here. If we're not careful with how we talk about spirit and flesh, we could find ourselves in a lot of trouble. Paul is not saying that our aim is to denounce the physical and develop a theology of spirit alone. This would lead us to a form of Gnosticism that has been traditionally called Manichaeism. It's this idea that spirit is the only thing that's true, right, and good, and everything physical is bad. Instead of throwing out the physical for the spiritual, we must live in the tension that God gives us. Paul holds these distinctive laws together because they exist together in us. This is how the human, this is now the human experience, or better yet, this is now the Christian experience. Paul is not conjuring up some idealistic, supernatural aspirations like a sage. Rather, he handles reality in all of its paradoxical tension. Martin Luther famously used the Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, to help explain this reality. Simul is the Latin root for the word simultaneous, or at the same time. Luther said we are simul, or both sinner, or justified and sinner. That is, we are sinner and saint. This both and simul is our reality that the text speaks about today. The reality that Christians who want to follow Jesus and who also struggle with sins of the flesh. These works of the flesh are the works that Paul states in Galatians chapter 5, which are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's a long list, but you noticed it wasn't complete for Paul. He says things like these. There's more. All human beings struggle with any number of these works, and Christians, on the one hand, are no different. But we as Christians own the depravity of our sin We must own that we are sinners. We don't self-justify our sins as being less severe than others. Oh, these are just minor faults that I have. No, instead we realize that we fail to do the good works that God has given us to do and instead do the very things that he forbids us from doing. 
Every Sunday we take time to confess our sins, which some people are put off by. This morning you took a moment of silent reflection of your sin, and it can kind of seem like a bummer. You walk into church, you sing the first hymn, and then you have to confess all your sins. The thought might be that Lutherans spend way too much time recalling their faults and failures. But we do so as Christians who are being honest about our state. As a community of believers, we are not afraid to confess to our God our brokenness. As Martin Luther said in his commentary to Romans, which is on the screen, God will reveal our inmost thoughts so that there is no possibility to flee further inside and to a more private hiding place. The Holy Spirit searches our hearts and refines us with his awesome fire. We confess our sins and seek to never do them again. And by God's grace, we are honest about our failures before him. However, there can be a hypocritical pitfall. We can fall into the trap of living a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of life. Not that we want to be hypocritical, but because we find ourselves in the precarious situation that Paul finds himself in our text. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We agree that the law is good, but we still go back to not following it time and time again. This is a tiring struggle, to say the least. But we don't accept our sin as merely inevitable and therefore give in at every whim. This would be a denial that sin is actually bad, a rejection of the law. And we don't own our sin to flaunt it. This would be cheap grace. Rather, Christians disown their perverse sin. As Paul says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, we hate sin and we press on in the struggle against our flesh and the desires we harbor deep within. This is a good thing. This war that wages within us is our own practical paradox of the Christian life. It is the simul life that we live. Some might say that it's not good to deny yourself the idea that you should do what is right for you and what makes you feel good. But if we examine this a little bit closer, we can see that there are a lot of flaws in this thought. If we, if an alcoholic really enjoys a drink, but maybe regrets who they are when they fail to be able to cut themselves off, it would be foolish for us to encourage them to just have, you know, just maybe one little sip. That won't hurt anything. Compulsive liars have a problem that becomes detrimental to themselves and to others. If we don't help them find ways to avoid lying and taming their tongue, then we fail to be a good neighbor to them. It's a good thing to restrain liars. 
encouraging their sin only hurts them more. Gluttons must resist their urge to consume or else they could cause major health problems and possibly premature death. Sexually immoral people can harm their bodies with sexually transmitted diseases. They can cause unplanned pregnancies that might result in the decision to abort a child. They can destroy marriages and families with their actions. Hotheads should not be glorified or uplifted or encouraged to blow up at people that you disagree with. They cause harm towards those people and themselves. And self-righteous need to stop justifying their actions and repent. Or that Savior that they don't feel that they need will give them their wish in the end. And he will deny them before the Father on the last day. We as Christians work hard at not falling into these temptations. But sadly, we do fall into these sins and many more. And, and so this, this is why Paul wrote Romans chapter 7. Because he is not wavering from the first ch- six chapters of salvation by faith. No, he is putting a period on his sentence. Even though we are a new creation in Christ, we cannot save ourselves. No amount of lawfulness can earn salvation for us because we will always fall short. What God is teaching us in his word today is that the mark of Christian maturity is not achieving a level of perfection that utilizes the cross of Christ less, but the understanding that no matter how we believe we measure up to the law, we still need Jesus. We need Jesus to cover our sins We go to the cross in repentance and receive abundant mercy waiting for us at the cross. We as humans are flesh and spirit and we live in this tension. And this is a tiring tension to be sure. Legalism lies on one side, cheap grace on the other. And finding the balance on our own is completely impossible. We can say with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ crucified is our only hope. Jesus is the one who gathers us to the cross and binds our wounds. Our gospel for, for lesson for today is Jesus' response to Paul's question. Who will save me from this body of death? Jesus has an answer. Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus carried the burden of our sins on the cross. He gives us his yoke and leads us in his righteousness. We are living a similar life. We are saint and sinner. And our Savior, he walks with us. And so this word from Martin Luther sings, rings true. Wonderful and sweet is the mercy of God who at the same time considers us both as sinners and non-sinners. Jesus calls sinners to himself and then he envelops them with his love, care, and mercy. And so all we need to say is, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.